Yes, it was September 12, 1962, as you saw in the video, that President Kennedy announced the daring dream that Americans will land on the moon by the end of that decade. The question was, how? But Kennedy seemed to know the answer. But the reality is, when he gave that proclamation, proclamation, when he gave that challenge, this was a bold challenge. It was to believe in what was seemed at that time impossible, because the mission would require untold amounts of work, creativity, and innovation. He was calling for things to be used that weren't even invented yet. And at the time of, the, of this speech, NASA identified 10,000 separate tasks that had to be accomplished just for them to land on the moon. The goal was massive, and many people viewed it as impossible. It is the tension that we live in, the attention that rests upon all great objectives and achievements, and the tension that we, we live in right now. For every reason why, we have thousands of reasons of why not. Believing that the word impossible is only just a wall that separates us from the glory that waits on the other side. And this week, we find ourselves in week number four of the Last Supper on the Moon. We're going to be exploring a, an amazing miracle in John chapter 6. This is only a test. You know, it was in the beginning of this year, 2022, that a massive snowstorm hit the eastern seaboard. Over on I-95, which is a highway along the east coast, there was a massive snow, snow and ice storm that hit that highway. In fact, it hit it so fast, there's a 15-mile stretch of road that motorists were stranded when that snowstorm hit. They were stranded for over 20 hours. And they had no idea how long will we be here? How long will this last? They didn't know, should we keep our car, car running to stay warm? Or should we shut our car off to ration the fuel? In fact, one man was interviewed later on, and he said all he had as far as food in his car was an orange and a Dr. Pepper. And so every three to four hours, he would ration that orange. He would eat one slice of an orange. Because he had no idea, how long will I be stuck here? And then there's this one couple that was stuck in the snowstorm, sitting in their car, and they looked a couple cars ahead, and they saw this bakery truck from Schmidt Bakery. And they thought, huh, you know what, I have an idea. And so the lady picked up the phone, and she called the corporate number for that bakery company. And she talked to the corporate office and said, hey, this is the situation. We're on I-95, stuck in a snowstorm. We can't move. We don't have food. And there's thousands of cars all along this stretch that are in the same predicament. Can you call? There's a bakery truck right in front of us. Can you call the driver and give him permission to open up his truck so that we can have food and pass it out? And within 20 minutes, the corporate office called that driver. He opened up the truck, and this couple, along with the driver, then went up and down the road giving out bread. And you can see the picture of that small little miracle happen and take place. They pass it around. This small little miracle broke the news waves and became viral. And this story is perfectly positions us into the fourth of seven signs that's found in the Gospel of John that tells us who Jesus is, and it reveals the reality that Jesus is the Son of the living God, and that He is the one who came to, to give us life and food that lasts beyond this life. And if we believe in Him, we and you and us and all of us can have life to the fullest. 
This miracle that we're going to be reading about and talking about today is probably the most popular and well-known miracle. In fact, it is the only miracle that's found in all four Gospels. This one is a biggie. In John chapter 6, the story goes like this. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed, with him, followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. And then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. And when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wage to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's Peter, Peter's brother, spoke, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that space, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. And Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they had all they had, had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled them with 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely, this is the prophet who is to come into the world. This is only a test. Do you ever drive in your car and you're listening to a great song and you're jamming to the great song and all of a sudden it bops up right in the middle of the song. It says, this is only a test and then that annoying shriek, you remember that? And they say, this is a test by the emergency broadcasting system. You know, if there was an emergency, all you're thinking is like, you messed up the song. I was belting it out and you messed it up. You know, that same verbiage is in this story. Jesus breaks up the interlude. He says, this is only a test. Not brought to you by the emergency broadcasting system, but brought, by to, brought to you by the very Son of God. I'm about to reveal something. And he's showing something here in this moment. Through this test in life. And oftentimes, God does walk us through tests in life. Because here's something that we need to understand. That I think we wrestle with in our understanding of things. A faith that can't be tested is a faith that can't be trusted. And God wants to be able to trust your faith. He wants you to be able to trust in your faith as well. That when hardships come, with, when, when moments come with what seems impossible, your faith can be counted on. You know, your faith in knowing that I don't have the ability, this is bigger than what I can comprehend or understand or fathom or do, but I trust in something or in someone who's bigger than me. That's the faith. I'm going to keep walking forward. And please, with that being said, understand this. God will never tempt you, but God will test you. He will never tempt you, but he will test you. And I believe there are many times in our life that we're being tested. Is your faith strong enough? Do you trust me enough that I will walk you through? Because when, in those moments of what seems like it's impossible, 
It's in those moments that God is often walking us through something towards something. And he's just saying, will you trust me enough to allow me to walk you through? And so when life is freaking you out and you feel overwhelmed and you feel like, I can't do this. This is too big for me to handle. This is bigger than I could ever imagine. You can calm yourself down by just saying, this is only a test by the son of the living God. And you can find comfort, hopefully, <clears throat> in knowing, <clears throat> excuse me, that God is walking you through something towards something. God has something bigger for you on the other side. But too often we allow what seems impossible to build a wall in front of us that holds us back from seeing what God really wants to walk us through and what he wants to walk us towards. Because he's always walking us to something. So in those moments when you're overwhelmed with life, when you're beat down and you're screaming out, God, where are you in this mess? Say, God, I trust you enough. May you find comfort as he walks you through something towards something bigger than you could ever imagine. And so today, I want to take a journey with you guys through this miracle that, that we see in John chapter 6. Because I, I think as you read this story and read this miracle, there's several phases and things happening within this one miracle. Several movements of God at work where God is show, showcasing who he is, where God is challenging us to trust him enough, where he's walking us through something towards something. And it all begins when we encounter an unsolvable problem. And that's what the disciples were reeling with, dealing with right now. That unsolvable problem. Does, is that relatable for anybody here? Have you ever found yourself in life where you're so overwhelmed and you just feel, this is a problem that I can't solve. I can't do anything about it. There's nothing. My hands are completely tied. You know, it's like what many of us feel like in math class. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't like math. I don't like math because I can never solve the problem. They just, it just doesn't make sense for me. Okay, I can get one plus one equals two, but beyond that, you've lost me. Just ask Dale. He'll let you know. And so often we struggle because we think we see the answer at the end of the book, at the end of the Bible, right? God wins. But then we over, we're overwhelmed with all the junk that happens between now and that point. And we think this is just, I see these answer, but I just don't know how to solve this problem on this particular part of the journey. And that is exactly the predicament that the disciples were in in this moment. They were faced with a problem that seemed so overwhelming, so daunting, and just like, there's no, there's no way. We can't do anything about that. And through this miracle, Jesus was showcasing in moments of what seems impossible, I've got this and I've got you. Will you just trust me enough because I am the son of God? Will you trust me in that? This miracle of all miracles was probably, probably the most witnessed miracle of all the miracles that he did. You know, in John's account, it says that 5,000 people were there that day. And when you read the other synoptic gospels, you, you see they tell you that there was the 5,000 men plus there was women and children. It is estimated that there was roughly 20,000 people that day for that miracle. That's more people who watch the pirates. Yeah. I mean, think about that for a moment. 
And all these people were gathering towards Jesus. And why were they all there? Because if you saw in the, in the story, it was the Passover festival. It was almost Passover time, which means anybody who's anybody found their way to Jerusalem for the Passover. So all the crowds from all the other regions were all flocking for this moment. And as they're getting there, there was this buzz that was growing about this man by the name of Jesus, who was doing all these amazing miracles and teaching all this amazing stuff. Stuff, and everybody was like, if I get a glimpse just to see him, if there's just an opportunity, I've got to be there. I've got to be in that moment. And they're all coming to Jerusalem and they all hear, Jesus is on the mountainside. He's over there. Let's go. And all these people begin to flock over there to see Jesus. And I love, I love how the story begins. Look back at the story. It says that he was sitting on the mountainsides and the big crowd is pursuing him and then something very profound is mentioned in that moment. It says Jesus lifted his eyes and he saw them. That's powerful. And I think some of you guys need to hear this today. Jesus in that moment lifted his eyes, and the Bible says he saw them. He saw their needs. He saw they were hungry. No one had to come and tell him anything. He saw right into their hearts and saw their brokenness, saw their pain, saw their hardships. He saw them. Some of you need to hear this. I think so often in our life, we feel like no one gets me. Like no one understands me. Can I just tell you, Jesus sees you. He sees you. You are never alone. When no one else sees you, he does. And he saw the people. Not just the crowd, he saw the people. And then the Bible says, he turned to Philip. Of all the disciples, he turns to Philip. He says, yo, yo, dude, they're hungry. Where, where can we go get some food? This is a profound moment. You know why? Because Philip, he's the local boy. He's from Bethesda, which is the next town over. You know, of all the disciples, he's the local boy. He's the one who has the bragging rights. He's the one who knows, hey, I can tell you the best burger place in town. I know exactly where you can go to get the best deals and what grocery store, how to get to Costco, where Walmart's located, how to beat the crowds to get there. I know all the stuff. And so Jesus is turning to the local boy. He says, all right, my man, here's your chance to shine. How are we going to feed these guys? And Philip's like, um, you kidding me? I can almost read the panic that's going on in Philip's life right there. Like, Jesus, we can't feed them. This problem is unsolvable. We can't do this. It's impossible. And the story says that Jesus never asked him about groceries because he never intended to go to the grocery store. He already knew how he was going to solve the problem. He was testing him. And let me just be honest with you, in this moment, as we pause in, this, in the middle of the story, guys, Jesus shows something here. He is a sneaky, sly guy, always showing, I got this. I'm 
just testing you guys. He's putting his little arm, I got you guys. I've got this, I've got this taken care of. I know how I'm gonna deal with it. Philip's in panic mode. And Jesus begins to the, the, the roll out his plan to show, see, I have a different plan. I'm gonna take care of all of this. This is only a test. You see, Philip was one of the earliest disciples that walked with Jesus. He was there in Cana when Jesus turned water into wine. He was there when, when Jesus called out and said to the, to the nobleman, hey, you go home, your boy's going to be fine. He was there and he saw miracle after miracle after miracle. He saw God at work over and over and over again. And so Jesus in this moment asked Peter, asked Philip, where can we go? What do you think? What can be done about this situation? And I think what Jesus is really getting at here, he's not set saying, hey, where's the, where's the closest Walmart? Where's the best burger hut that we can get burgers for everybody? I don't think he's doing that. I think in this moment, what Jesus is highlighting here with Philip, the local guy, hey, you've been with me all this time now. You've seen me do stuff from the very beginning. Philip, what do you think I the Son of God can do right now. You see this right now. What do you think I can do? How do you think I'm going to solve this problem? And Philip's response, there's no Walmart. I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know how you're going to deal with this. You need to understand something in this moment. God, Jesus, usually does his greatest miracles following the most bewildering behavior. Those moments were like, this just doesn't make any sense. This does not feel right. This doesn't look right. I don't know how you're going to do that. In those moments when you're just like, God, where are you? How are you going to show up? What are you going to do in this moment? Because this, we can't do anything about this. And that's when he shows up and says, hey, lean in because you're about to see something big. You're about to see something miraculous. Watch what I'm about to do. And you know the other thing I see in this moment of the story with Jesus' encounter with Philip? We need to understand that so often I think we wrestle in our faith because we put ourselves in areas and, and environments of what we know what we're comfortable with, what's normal to us. And so we try to answer our problems based upon our own logic, on our own understanding, the problems we think we can solve. And I think maybe that was Philip's thing. Okay, Philip, you're the local guy. You know all the places. You know all the solutions around here. Solve it. You know, it's so easy for us oftentimes when you go on a mission trip and you're in environments where you don't know. It's like, let's see God at work. And then we come back home to the environment that we know and it's, it's all of a sudden like we put Jesus in a box. Well, you, you can only work in this box, Jesus. And I think sometimes we stuff him in a box and we have more faith out in the Jerusalems of the world. Like Philip was in Jerusalem, he saw Jesus do all that, but he didn't have the same faith in his own backyard because he knew the environment. He didn't feel he needed it as much as he did out there. And sometimes we hold God back because we live in normal mode. 
we base the answers on what we think we know. Can I just ask you something? What area in your life is the hardest place for God to work? What area in your life are you like, I'm going to run on my own logic, my own understanding, my own education, because this is what I can answer. And in reality, it's in that area where you're really missing out on what God wants to do. We try to stuff God into this box, into our own little Nazareth, if you will. But Jesus doesn't live in boxes. He never has, and he never will. Mankind try to throw him in the box, in that empty, t- in that tomb. And he broke out of that tomb on the third day. You know why? Because Jesus, you can't hold him in a box. And he will never live in your box or my box. He works outside of what seems normal to us. He works outside of what we think is logical. And that's where our faith needs to step in. To trust him enough. That's where Philip was. I don't got a solution. And he's like, I do. I do. Will you just trust me? And in that moment, he takes on, to, takes on a problem that we think is unsolvable, that we think is impossible, and shows that with God, all things are possible, which opens the door to see his heart. You see, an unsolvable problem is often followed by the heart of compassion. As you continue on the story, all the disciples, they were sitting there, and they were telling Jesus when they saw the crowd coming, Jesus, can you just tell them, Jesus, to go away? <clears throat> we don't want them. Le- send them away. Please don't allow them to come here. You know why they were saying that? Because they were tired. They just finished this long journey. They were going and going and going. There was like no stop. They had highs and lows, good days and bad days, days of laughing and days of, days of deep grief. And here they were, physically and emotionally just drained and it was finally time to kick up the pick up their uh, pick up their put up their feet up and hang out and just relax because guys I get it we need margin in our life we need a moment of separation where just give me a chance to rest and here they are just give me my moment to rest here's my chance to chill and then they see these people come and they're saying whoa time out office is closed no 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 come back Monday And Jesus is like, no, something's about to happen. You guys see this as an intrusion on your time and your life. I see this as an opportunity for something big and amazing. And I dare you to believe, friends, I dare you to believe that some of the greatest things that God will ever do in your life often comes at an interruption in the moment. It's when you're not really in the mood for it is often the moment when he shows up the biggest. Because life is hard. Life is overwhelming. Life is a drain. But interruptions oftentimes are opportunities to see God at work, to see what God's about to do. And the story shows that when, shows them that his heart of compassion took over. In Mark's account, it says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. 
You know, the actual Greek word that's used there is that Jesus' stomach was so tied up in knots and turning over and over and over because he cared about them so much. His, his stomach just could not rest if he didn't do anything for them. And here's the thing. God often uses and guides us through, the, through his Holy Spirit through moments of interruption for something big. And don't miss this. Jesus cared about their physical appetites. He saw they were physically hungry. But he also something more important. They didn't just need food. They needed the bread of life. He saw their spiritual need, their spiritual hunger for something more, for something bigger, for something that fed them completely. He cared about their physical needs, their emotional needs, and he cared about their spiritual needs as well. You know what that tells me? We need to do the same. We need to do the same. Just as Jesus cared about their physical needs, we need to care about physical needs. But sometimes, unfortunately, we stop there. Well, I filled a plate, so I'm good to go. But my friends, we cannot overlook or neglect the importance to, to focus on their spiritual needs as well. We need to care about the full person. It is important that we meet physical needs, but we also need to be meeting the spiritual needs. My friends, we as the church, as the body of Christ in this world, we are called to consistently and constantly be teaching the Bible. We are called to be his light, to be the instrument that leads the way of Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. We are called to make sure that every person that we come into contact with has the opportunity to know the promise of eternal life. That is what we're called for. And we need to be just as concerned about spiritual needs as we are about physical needs. Just like Jesus was. We should care about them both and be prepared for those divine interruptions when opportunities make their way. And as we work through what appears to be unsolvable problems and allow the Spirit of God to walk us through divine interruptions, know that Jesus always tends to work through unlikely solutions. He always do. He always does. When it seems impossible, he comes along with an unlikely solution. And there is the disciple Andrew. Andrew's the disciple that he's always, as you read the gospel stories, he's the guy that has someone along with them. Hey, Jesus, how about this guy? This guy might be able to do something. Hey, Jesus, hey, I just met this guy over uh, down at the, the grocery store, and I, I thought maybe you could meet him and do something for him and heal his problem. You know, he's always that guy who brings somebody to Jesus. And I want to highlight something, the importance in that. Our job is not to save people. Our job is to be like Andrew, who how can we find ways to bring people towards the throne of God? How can we walk people towards Jesus and introduce them to him? Will you be an Andrew? Will you be willing to be an Andrew? You're not called to save people. Will you just be an Andrew and be willing to bring people to Jesus? How, give them a chance to experience him in their life. And Andrew brings this little boy. This boy had to at some point say, I see a problem. I might be able to help. I got something. And Andrew brings this boy. And he says, I think I might have a solution. This boy, I, I don't know if it will work, but I got this boy. And all he has is his lunchbox. That's all he's got. And just like, yep, that's it. We're going to use him. An unlikely solution to feed 20,000 people and the Bible says all this boy has are five barley loaves 
and two fish. That description of the bread, the barley loaves, was very important. Because in that day and time, people's wealth was highlighted and determined by the ingredients in their bread. And barley was the poorest of the poor. And so here was this boy with the poorest of all meals. And all he had was just a little. He didn't have enough. But all he knew was like, I'm just going to bring this to Jesus. I don't know. I'm just going to bring it to him and see what happens. You know, friends, he brought a seed and planted the seed for a miracle harvest to happen. And so often, we don't participate in a miracle because we think, what I have is not enough. It's not really going to make a difference anyways. And a seed seldom looks like the harvest it contains. It seldom does. And at times, we are tempted not to sow the seeds that God's given to us because we don't think it's enough. We don't see the possibility within that seed the same way that God does. And I dare you to believe that God wants to use what what little you feel that you have, what little you feel you have to be a part of something miraculous that maybe, just maybe, God wants to use what you already have in your life, in your home, in your journey, in your experience to bring a miracle in your life and in other people's lives. Jesus never intended them to go to the grocery store that day. He was just showing and revealing, if you just bring me what you already have, watch what I will do. Do you just trust me enough to bring me what you already have and watch what I will do? Will you be willing to do that? That is what God wants to use and to do in your life to bring a miracle through your life. Jesus could have picked anybody in that crowd, but he picked a little kid with the poorest of meals to do something amazing. And all throughout the Gospels, he always calls and brings upon and uses the least of these to do something amazing. You can't despise the smallness of your ability. You can't despise the smallness of your resources. You can't say, well, when I'm rich, then I'll start tithing. Or, or then when I have more time, then I'll start serving. I'll volunteer when I will retire. I'm telling you, right now is the time to give him your, your fish. Right now is the time to give him your bread. It's an unlikely solution, but Jesus wants you to trust him enough to allow him to walk you through something towards something. To do something spectacular. Mark 6 of the account. He says how many loaves do you think we have? And he asked go and see. And they found out we have five. And two fish. And that's when he brought the little boy. I've got something. Not much. But Jesus I've got something. Will you regardless of how small you feel your gift is. How little time you feel you have. Will you just say, God, here's my resources. Here's my time. Here's my ability. I just want to make a difference. I want your glory to be shown. And when that takes, when you take that step, it opens up and it locks the opportunity of a grateful heart. 
You see, a grateful heart unlocks the door to difference-making opportunities. Jesus took that bread, and he took that fish, and he blessed it, and he prayed over it before he multiplied it. He gave thanks. Think about this for a moment. In an impossible situation, he's holding not enough to feed them, and he stopped to give thanks. He stopped to thank for it. You know, when you feel like you're facing what seems like an impossible situation, do you have the ability to thank him anyways? Do you have the ability to say, God, I may not have the answers, I may not have all the solution, but I thank you in this moment for what you've done for me. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Did you catch that? God's will for your life is that in all situations you will give thanks. Not that you will be thankful for everything, but in, in everything you will be thankful. That no matter what I'm standing between, the difficult days, the junk that's before me and behind me, all the stench that surrounds me, I will give thanks because of what he's done for me already. For what he's put in my hands in this moment. I don't know what tomorrow will hold, but today I thank you because of what you've done for me already. And my friends, this is the will of God for your life because this is the moment that things begin to change in your heart and in your lives and in the world around you. When we have a grateful spirit standing in the middle of a big, impossible problem, that is the moment that the world changes. That is the moment that your heart begins to change. There's something powerful here. He gave thanks. And then the Bible says he broke the bread as he began to multiply it. Don't miss something here. Jesus always blesses what he allows to be broken. He always blesses what he allows to be broken. I'm wondering who needs to hear that today. There's so many times in our life and our journey where we just find ourselves broken. But in your brokenness, if you pursue him, he always uses it to multiply something great. Go back to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. Blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger. Over and over and over again, God blesses those he allows to be broken. My friends, in your brokenness, run to him and see what he wants to do in your life. Through it, what he might be walking you towards. Through and what he might be walking you towards. Because understand this, we see in Jesus a mentality of multiplication. He always uses that opportunity to multiply greater things in our life. Jesus does not distribute the bread. Did you catch that? He broke it. He gave it to the disciples. You distribute. You give it out. I want you to have an opportunity to participate in this miracle. And that's what he does for us all the time. Guys, I want you to participate in the miracle. 
And guys, as we participate in miracles, he wants us to, to pass it on to somebody else. We oftentimes become doers. Like, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. And Jesus says, no, no, I don't want you to be doers. I want you to share the opportunities to be a part of this. So who will you share the opportunity with? Who will you pass the baton on to? Who will you invite in to be a part of this? Who will be the ones, after we are gone, who's sharing the message of love and hope and Jesus to the future generations, to my grandchildren and my grandchildren's grandchildren? Who's going to do that? Unless we share the opportunities and pass it on and pass it on. And then we do that. They had the opportunity to celebrate and participate in the celebration. And we have the opportunity to participate in the celebration. You know, they all passed out, and then they all got to eat. The disciples included. And the Bible says they all ate as much as they wanted. It was feast time. These five loaves of bread and these two fish turned into this massive buffet. And everybody's like, "Woo! I'm at the Golden Corral, baby. I'm eating it up. Bring on the dessert. I'm living life right now. It's all you can eat. It never stops. We were at Olive Garden yesterday for lunch. A side note, I got on a, I got on a tangent a little bit. And they have the all you can eat, the nev never ending. I asked my wife and she wouldn't do it. So I, I said, hey, can you just ask the waitress? Like, do you get a card for when I want to come back for lunch tomorrow? Because it says it's never ending. So, so if it never ends, I can come back and come back and come back, right? She wanted to ask. I don't know what's to... But, you know, it's all-you-can-eat buffet, and they just ate till they were full, till they're rolling over, you know, till they couldn't get off the couch anymore. And then Jesus says, hey, go get the extras. Pick it up. And they go, and they pick up all the extras, 12 basketfuls. And not only does he have everybody participate in the celebration, but God gives an excess of his blessing. He overwhelms us with our blessing. They wanted to feed the masses with 12, uh, five loaves of bread and two fish, and they came back with 12 basketfuls of stuff for the next day and the next day and the next day. You know what the point of this was? Remember, it was the Passover time. This was a very important message Jesus highlighted here. In this moment, Jesus was saying, Hey, religious leaders, all you people of the law, all you religious folk, all you guys who are here for the Passover, I need to tell you something. I am the Son of God, and I am better than Moses. You remember the story way back in the Old Testament when, when they were going through the desert and they were hungry and God dropped the manna down for them to eat? What happened to the manna? It's spoiled by the end of the day. So every day they had to go out and get new manna, get new food. But guess what? What I give, it never spoils. It never gets old. It never dries up. It never wastes away. What I give is the best of the best and more than you could ever ask for. So do you trust me? Because I am the son of God. Whenever you face what seems like impossible, will you trust me enough to walk with me? Because I always work outside what's customary. What seems normal to you? Do you trust me enough that when you even don't get it, you'll walk with me? Because what he shows here is he 
is sovereign. Remember in John 6, 6, it said he asked this only for a test because he already knew what he was about to do. He already knew it. And I got to tell you something. Jesus has a pretty good track record. He has a pretty good track record. The question is, will you trust him enough to allow him to walk you through what seems impossible towards something that is significant that you would never see until you walk through that. Rest in knowing what seems impossible to us is possible with him. He's got this, and he's got you. But in order to achieve that, like Philip, like Andrew, and all the other disciples that day, we need to release our control to him. We try to stuff him in the box and tell him to answer our life questions based upon things that we understand, that we can comprehend, that we can control. But for some of us, it's time for us to release that control. Stop stuffing him in a box and see what he wants to do in your life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for you are good. And in this moment, when we face things that we just don't get, when we're dealing with problems that seem like they're just impossible to to answer, that there's no solution. Lord, may we trust you enough to walk us through what seems impossible to experience your glory on the other side. Lord, you are a good God, and I thank you for the life that you give. In your name we pray. Thank you. Would you stand